by Cortex. I'm your host and today we're going to be talking about running shipboard adventures and the problems that come with that and how that might specifically look in Cortex Prime. Shipboard adventures are nothing new and for many games it's the primary focus. So a lot of things that I'll be talking about today might not necessarily shake up those conversations but hopefully at a minimum you leave this episode today with some new ideas about how this may mechanically play out and some new situations that you might not have thought of before. And before we start, let's talk about this episode format and a tiny bit about me. I am not quite sure what to call a segment like this. This type of segment has been done before. Uh, offhand, I can say Writing Excuses does or used to do episodes like this where they take an expert and tell you what you as a writer might be getting wrong about being a lawyer, astronaut, etc. Now today, I'm not planning on telling you what you're getting wrong but I'm hoping to share what you might not be considering. And I hope that we can do episodes like this where we can get an expert either on the show or writing in topics or scenarios where we could be considering missed details to make our stories better. That's what this format is about. Not about telling you you're running ships wrong, but how you could be shaking things up or fleshing things out. So who am I other than your lovable podcast host? I used to serve in the Navy, and I've served aboard a ship and have been on several types of ships. Full disclaimer, I am several years removed from that life. I haven't thought about some of this in a long time, and even when I wasn't, I wasn't the expert on damage control. My work was specialized for technical systems that I won't get into details about, but that kind of brings me to a point I want to bring up as we move into the meat of this episode. Whether we're talking about actual Navy warships, fantasy airships, spaceships, relationships, I kid. If your character is on that ship professionally, whether as a bounty hunter cruising through the stars or as a scientist taking a small boat out uh, routinely to study coral reefs, chances are you're going to have some amount of training on doing damage control. When I was in the Navy, you had sailors who were dedicated and specialized for it, but we didn't depend on just 10 people to fix everything uh, and to fight the fires or plug a hole below the waterline. When you're out on a real-life naval ship, every sailor is considered a firefighter. When you're out there, whether it's the deep blue seas or into the black of space, you are the first and usually last responders to problems. We all got training on how to fight fires, basic training on how to plug a leak in the hall, and what equipment we needed to shore things up or to ventilate smoke or pump out water that was on deck. To this regard, even sci-fi settings are probably going to expect its crews to know how to do basic damage control because what happens when the droids or AI systems fail? You can't just give up and get sucked out into the vacuum of space or stand by while life support is failing. Even when uh, electrical goes out, we can imagine the setting where there are non-electrical solutions to problems that you might be experiencing on airships, spaceships, etc. For example, uh, if the bridge ever were to take a hit 
Um, that's not the only place on a real-life vessel where you would helm the ship. You can actually helm it elsewhere. As I recall, it's harder and uh, definitely requires uh, multiple people to kind of coordinate and make sure you're not steering into something or someone that you shouldn't. Uh, but there is a failsafe. Uh, we don't rely on just a bridge in order to pilot it. Now, the reason I bring all that up is for a couple of things. For one, we can start priming our players on the roles their characters take during battle ahead of time if it's not already baked into our Cortex game. When the alarms go off and you hear that you're going to general quarters, you have people who have already been pre-assigned positions and trained to do those positions. Professionally, like sailors will routinely do uh, these mock scenarios in these positions. So it's not something that you do once in basic boot camp and never think about again. Some of these people are just going to keep doing their actual specialized job. But then you'll have a whole host of people who are going to dress up in firefighter gear, man communication stations to coordinate help and start accounting for supplies and preparing for the worst. And this involves people of all ranks, officers, analysts. This is everyone's ship. This isn't just grunt work that's happening off screen. Your player character as an officer might be called away to do something else. Another officer, maybe even a more senior officer, typically speaking, might actually come up and assume the position that you were just working on the ship uh, while you go fight fires or coordinate the fighting of fires or whatever have you. So whether it's Cortex or another game, that right there should start getting the table thinking about, well, we can't just have the pilot and gunner have all the fun. What are the rest of us doing? And that's a common question that comes up uh, when any GM for any game asks, how do I run shipboard combat? Now, some games have this baked in. They have tables, they have mechanics, they've designed it within their turn structure. Uh, as far as Cortex goes, if you're doing a game that's heavy on shipboard adventures, or maybe you're even just doing a leg of an adventure that involves sailing, we can introduce roles or affiliations as traits, perhaps temporarily in the case of the latter, where you're just doing it for a story arc. And then the second thing regarding that scenario is the priming of assets or resource pools, if you're using that. A player might say that they're not great at repairing an engine, but they're trapped in an evacuated engineering space and have to fight in an electrical fire. They may not necessarily be doing it alone. They could be spending a plot point to create a hose asset. They could be creating an engineer extra, or they could be relying on knowledge their character has. On a real ship, every sailor can train for a what's called a warfare pen. And this pen says that they have some level of knowledge as to what everyone else is doing and how a lot of things work on their ship. And even without that warfare pen, uh, we're all trained to uh, fight different classes of fire. So in this scenario, player character here might create an asset that says warfare pen, which is a valid asset for any player character who's not like literally doing their first day on the ship. Uh, it could take a, oh, at least a week, um, but often several months on top of doing your regular job to study for said warfare pen. And so they can create an asset for that. Uh, they can also create an asset for their firefighting team or use a resource dice. And then make a roll and recall that the engineering space has special breakers to cut off the power, which is what you want 
when dealing with an electrical fire anyways. You want to cut off the power. Uh, our job is to make things exciting, and we don't need to fault the PCs just because their players might know, know their options and how to fight a literal, like, real electrical fire. And so that's where, like, resource dice might come in handy, or maybe just having a preset list of tools or options for doing XYZ when tackling a problem that's happening aboard the ship. This, of course, doesn't need to be exhaustive. Just something to get the wheels turning, add a little bit more flavor to the situation that's going on, uh, and just really start letting the players feel like, uh, yeah, sure, I, I'm a sailor. I know, how, I know how to fix this. So we talked about uh, assets and resources, and we're talking about a little bit more about it. You might have uh, different problems than fighting fires. Uh, there's specialized equipment for dealing with smoke because smoke inhalation is a real thing, too, in the aftermath. Uh, we also have procedures and equipment for getting water off deck if you're playing a seaship-style uh, game. In either case, you got to remember especially the more modern the setting the ships are big there a lot there are a lot of compartments that don't necessarily have a window that they could just open to vent smoke out or to throw water out there are a lot of internal compartments that just don't have any windows believe me i worked in them i think one time i went i don't know maybe 2 weeks just seeing the sunset and then otherwise just working night shift uh, and not seeing the sun for a solid 2 weeks but yeah, uh, so th that's some things that we can look up or start to daydream for our given setting or specific type of ship. Uh, but what about complications? And so for another example, we have the Rebellion warship, the SS Primetime, and we have a player who's running the communication officer. Well, they and the captain certainly have their time to shine when they were trying to bargain with the evil Imperial warship uh, when things went south. What does the communication officer get to do now? We already have the pilot. We already have gunners. Let's have the communication officer maybe get on the horn uh, a separate communication channel and help the ship make rules to recover complications or stress. In this manner, they can assist the captain on leadership roles or other players who are in different parts of the ship remotely. And the captain can, in turn, uh, assist the communication officer by uh, spouting out very specific orders uh, for maintaining the ship. And doing it this way, they still have a place in the action that perhaps doesn't push them out on the limb if they're not particularly good at fixing stuff or whatever your skill sheet might have for non-talky roles like a communication officer. So they still get to do their communication thing, it's just in a different aspect. On the flip side, we can start thinking of more like unusual complications now that we start to build an idea of how professional organizations prepare for the worst. So we've talked about how uh, there are pre-assigned positions when general quarters is called. When general quarters is first called, you're not going to be going, going to sleep or staying asleep uh, if you were in your rack when the alarms went off. You're gonna to go to your pre-assigned position and if it goes on long enough, we can then start talking about like sleeping in shifts. In the same scenario where we have the uh, prime time just calling general quarters, we might have a more senior officer come in 
Uh, they might be frazzled because they were like literally just sleeping soundly in their bunk. And it's their pre-assigned role to take the communication position. And our PC actually gets reassigned when the damage control lockers are firefighting teams. And that could be a complication in itself. A hitch comes up when the captain makes a roll, we buy it, and we introduce a frazzled comms officer D6 complication just as we're shifting to the communication officer's turn. In this way, too, we can start looking at complications as more than just a hole in the side of the ship below the waterline or out in space. Uh, we can start taking into account uh, crew morale and the likes. To keep talking about complications, a good way to handle Challenges could be a crisis pool, which is a very easy mechanic to bolt in or unbolt and take out if you're not already using crisis pools. Now, as GMs, we don't necessarily wait for a hitch to be rolled to bring about shipboard problems, but it definitely brings the weight to the situation when you're being told that there's a hull breach versus there's a hull breach D8 that's right at the waterline and when your compartment's beginning to flood. Now, whether that's spent from the crisis pool or we introduce uh, or we buy hitches because we're not using a crisis pool, whatever the case is, we have to remember that we can still set up complicated situations and we can make those complications more impactful when we actually turn it into uh, dice. Whether it's the doom pool, crisis pool, complications, or stress, we still get to emphasize uh, when and how these problems impact the narrative. So uh, we're, we're still controlling the spotlight in that way. A hull breach might just be a simple recovery role, or if we're following the adventures of a bunch of low-level crew members, it could be a whole challenge by itself to involve the action order and do the beat for beat while combat is happening elsewhere on the ship. Uh, or between ships. Additionally, these problems might just stack or be revealed later after the main conflict of the scene. You want to focus more on the boarding team or a verbal spar between the captain as the battles go on? You go for it. Complications don't have to be immediately apparent or impactful. And if you don't want your combat scenario to necessarily focus on maintaining the ship, then we can start looking elsewhere for our problems. So let's say that the ship took a hit we find out in the subsequent scene when our engineer PC is doing a damage assessment role that comes up a few hitches that, yeah, there was a hole breach and starboard engine turbine is down. This complication either needs to be fixed now, letting the Imperial warship in the previous example catch up as you try to make a retreat, or it sets the ship limping along the home port. In a previous episode where I talk about complications exclusively, this could be a whole dramatic story. Maybe the campaign opened with a cinematic battle that is either just happening or just happened off screen. The complication that then drives the story and for the entire session or three, we might have the ship trying to just evade enemy forces, camouflaging itself by pretending it's another island in the sea, etc. While it struggles to reach a friendly port, that would allow for a complication recovery. And this is all while it's limping to a friendly port that would allow for a complication recovery. Because that's the other thing too, right? The GM could wait on a recovery role uh, by stating that you need specific uh, stuff or need to be in a specific scenario. In this case, we're saying that they need to make these fixes in port. That right now they can only do a, um, a patch job of it. 
the complication in this case drove the story. And all the while, we have a sailing game where values and or relationships are a trait. We have that interpersonal crew drama and explore the character fears, take the focus, and make it into a game that we want. You know, maybe you're not actually trying to do a war game where there's a lot of combat. Maybe it is just about the stress of being out to sea on a broken ship behind enemy lines. Uh, always just try to bring in the traits that in turn brings out the type of game that you and your players want at the table. But say you don't want a broken engine complication to force the PCs on such a huge detour. Ask yourself if they can do a shoddy repair and just keep that little nugget in the back of your pocket for yet another problem that might come up. In this way, uh, still, we, we get the game that we want out of it, right? If the whole point of the campaign is to fight the front lines and focus on that aspect, then don't make the call and tell them and force them to go to port to make the recovery. And that's where like choosing when to roll for stuff or what we roll for really begins to shine because you give them the wrong detail. You tell them that they need to do X, Y, or Z to fix a complication. It could spin your game into uh, a detour that you and your players didn't necessarily plan on doing. And, you know, you can either lean into that because there's nothing wrong with spinning off into another arc, uh, another direction with the campaign than previously done. Like, I mean, it's a rare day, I think, for many GMs to just have things perfectly go the way they planned. And really, as a table, you should be kind of leaning in and feeding on each other on to where you want the game to go. So, We've talked quite a bit about what ship life is kind of like when things are going wrong. We talked a little bit about the kind of assets we might have, the kind of complications and PCs and how PCs can be getting more involved in ship conflict. I say conflict instead of battle because a lot of this can be relevant when navigating asteroids or tsunamis, etc., uh, and hopefully this gives uh, you and your players uh, some idea uh, as to uh, alternatives that they can be doing uh, for their game um, and kind of opens the door for playing characters that they might not have played otherwise. You know, th there are very popular positions on the ship, typically, in my experience, for running these kind of campaigns. And, I mean, they partly stem from, like, I want to be doing something when conflict is going on aboard the ship and things are going wrong. Uh, it also begins to diversify and maybe even change up what they're doing between conflicts or uh, at different conflicts. Let me know what you think about the new format. Could it have been more fleshed out? Let me know. Is there a topic you would like to discuss in this format? Please feel free to write in. Even if you're still learning Cortex, we can sit here and talk about it, and I can help prime or Cortexify in a long way of our discussion. That's it for the episode. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find our socials in the show notes. I'll see you next time.